The crawling thing of glistening slime and bawling noises writhed unfettered in its basin. It was blind in vision, but its gleaming eyes stared, frightened and screaming at the world around it. The bright lights tearing into its unseeing orbs, the sounds, the blinking, beeping noises of a panicked room. This thing was called Melanie, and its story is much like every other humanoid being on the planet in that it was born, it grew, and developed an intellect and existence that rivaled no one. At least that is how it would be perceived to the unenlightened. Yet one fateful day it stumbled into another creature of like mind and deeper, darker lamentations than one could be shown on the surface. This was Danielle. They grew together, ached together, and as the years passed and their humanoid bodies transformed and shifted, it was clear that these were no normal human girls. In the dark of night, to the chanting of cultish bodies, the two women were drawn to create the ultimate in eldritch beings, a massive globe filled to overflowing with liquid knowledge, a basin not terrible unlike the basin in which they were deposited shortly after being expelled from their mother's wombs, a basin in which to return once again. One leg after another they crawled over the lip and slid to their heads in the mysterious red fluid. Before the cultists' terrified eyes, they saw the two women's legs and arms formed to their bodies, their eyes bulged and their skin grayed and frayed with new-formed scales. They had come. Their form was complete. They swam in the viscous knowledge and sang the songs of the old ones. It was this moment when two unimportant and normal girls became that which would bring forth the call to wake the depths of Yaleh. This was the beginning. This was a podcast about random shit. Wow, that was so good. <laughs> so much actually better written than Lovecraft. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Just, just like say we we were so hor- it was so horrible, so horrible beyond the words. It's so horrible, I can't even describe it. Moving on, <laughs> which we'll get into, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So, hello, and welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I'm the American hostess, Melanie, and with me is my lovely cohort from England, Danielle. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Did you expect more? Uh, No, no, because I know you're a bit pooped. I'm tired. Yeah. Danielle's sleepy. <laughs> um, so, just kind of moving through, moving quickly, because I know that we're, we're trying... This whole thing of trying to keep our rambles down a little bit so we can get mm-hmm. straight into the juicy, fun stuff. Um, I don't have any updates, do you? I just want to thank people for carrying on listening to us. And thank you for your patience when we don't always come out fortnightly because uh, we don't have anyone um, giving us any shit. Um, yeah. for not, you know, so <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Until we have people going, where are the episodes? We're going to be like, we do them when we do them. We do them when we do them. Right. L- life finds a way. <laughs> but yeah, just thanks for carrying on listening, even though it's not always consistent. No, we but we super duper appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, I, I really enjoy doing this and, and the more ears we get on it, the better. But that's, that's, you know, that's just sort of like a perk. Yeah. And it, you guys benefit from us not treating this like a chore because if we started to feel like that we would start resenting it and then it wouldn't be as fun to do and then the quality would drop and you wouldn't have as much enthusiasm or whatever um you you just have us reading wikipedia pages at you pretty much which is kind of what i'm doing today but (laughs) (laughs) 
but I'm tired. <laughs> but no, I just, I don't want to give out a, a bad quality product. And I think that, I think that they could be appreciated that you guys would rather wait an extra week for an episode that was better and actually quite entertaining and properly researched than get it on time and it not be so great. So we do appreciate it anyway. I do know some people are still listening. They're just not, um, just not the type to, um, interact. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, thanks guys. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Thank you. It's all, it's been, it's been awesome. And yeah, you're into it. I'm still digging it. All right, so let's dive into the thing real quick. I know you've got a thing. Yeah. Fucking the the wind! (laughs) I really... I'm quite tolerant of most adverse weather conditions. Except for extreme heat and wind. When it's windy, it makes everything worse. And it makes everything hard. And it makes everything incredibly frustrating and this comes on the tale of me having been on a, 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 a doing archaeology today being on a site an archaeological dig and on the archaeological dig in a place that's named after the wind and so we should have been expecting quite a <laughs> tremendous amount of wind but i wasn't quite expecting the tremendous amount of wind that showed up (laughs) um i was telling melanie earlier that i was writing down information and um basically my my collar of my shirt of my waterproof jacket was just like slapping my cheeks i will hear i'll make the sound effect for you You don't get to see the visual that goes with yeah, that. Yeah, wish you could see the face. It's really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, God. Just constantly being beaten up by your collar. Um, and, and the reason for that is because I have to wear a, um, a jacket that's about two sizes too big because it's men's construction, like, uniforms, high-vis yeah. jackets. Yeah. So if I want them over my lady hips, i got to wear the bigger size. So um, I've got to wear the bigger size. So it's absolutely massive up top, <laughs> but then just about goes over my hips. But I end up like this, like egg bubble. Like when I'm bent over in the, like in the trench, it'll like come up my back. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing stopping it from going any further is my helmet. So I, you have to wear helmets on this side and everything. It's just, it's, but the wind, I. <sighs> I was stood at the top of the uh, hill that we're um, of the hill that we're excavating. Well, we're like sort of excavating down the slope, and um, uh, a big old gust. You know the kind of gust that comes at you from nowhere and like hits you aggressively and just like pushes you. Like um, a palm slap. Yep, yeah, but for your whole body. <laughs> Uh, there was a few instances where a few a few people had they not had their legs spread in the um, I'm standing on the edge of a hill stance would have been knocked over without a shadow of a doubt. Oh gosh, I I mean I wasn't even bothered that it was raining at one point. I don't mind being wet. I was wet quite a lot. It's the wind. 
I yeah. hate it. So, you know, the whole point of the thing is, right, um, is that Melanie's supposed to do something about it. So, Melanie, will you do something about the wind? It's never been the point, by the way, the thing for Melanie to do something. <laughs> it's the point right now. <laughs> Are you going to well, do something about the wind? I'll, I'll try, but you're in a place with the name, with the word wind in its <laughs> <Right>. title. <laughs> She's it's not lucky. Sort of- it's it's self-manifested extra wind. Like I I can't do much. Yeah. I'll try and offer you a buffer for you know. He didn't he didn't even name it in like you know like a Norse word for wind. It is full on <laughs> English word windy. Wind. Now I can't tell you anything more than that, but um because it is actually like um top secret top secret yeah. But yeah, wind is in the title and it's just oh my god I just can't. Fucking wind, man. And seagulls. They're still fucking me about because <laughs> they're having babies and then, like, the babies are falling off the roofs now and get... Oh, uh, no. But they're old enough now that they can they can kind of fly the ones that are on the ground and but they just constantly... I had constantly... Until mom and, dad, mom and dad come with their chips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just constantly tormented by seagulls. You poor thing. Turner says I'll miss them when I'm gone, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be magpies, he says. I don't care. It's not seagulls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my thing. Do you have a thing? Nice. Um, my thing is very simple, very small. Minecraft is swallowing my soul. It's swallowing the souls of my entire family. We can't have like 20 minutes of conversation without somebody going, I wish I was playing Minecraft right now. Hey, mom, can I play Minecraft right now? Oh. Wow, that's some efficient brainwashing. It's pretty intense. Like I knew it was going to I knew it was going to get bad. I knew it would escalate, especially once Tim got into it because he he's he's in it hard right now. Um but I finally started playing creative because you can do survival mode or creative mode. And uh, there's this one texture pack. It's Greek mythology. That's my jam. So I'm starting to build this castle because Willow wanted a castle. And I'm building this giant fuck off castle. And then like, I want to play with you. Well, okay, just don't touch my castle. Do whatever you want. Build anything outside of my castle. And I blink and somebody's in there taking apart like 60 blocks that I put up. I'm all, I can't with this game. I can't. Are you going to murder a child over Minecraft? No, I don't think so. (laughs) I hope not. But Jesus Lord, this is like, it's so intense every day. So much Minecraft. And if it's not being actually played in the day, it's it's just whining about how they're not playing Minecraft. And I know Tim's whining silently in his head about how he's not playing Minecraft. And and I'm just... It'll ah! pass. It'll pass. It'll pass. It'll I, just pass. Want, I just want the real world back a little bit. And then I, I feel like we can move past Minecraft. Or it can be a special occasion thing. A weekend thing. But no. It's, mm. It is... Uh, it's the summer of Minecraft. It's my life right now. So that's that's really it. It's a fun game. And if you like building and constructing and playing, it's so good for your imagination. Like, it's got a lot of cool stuff going for it. Really does. But the the, the almost addictive quality to it is really starting to piss me off. 
So that's my thing. Aww. It's fine. It'll pass. It'll pass. And then you'll have loads of Minecraft shit in your house that your kids don't want anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah. whoa, that was a copyright um, infringement. Seemed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let us do our breath. Let us breathe in the the joy of learning, creating, uh, excavating, all these exciting things that are actually happening. And let us breathe out the frustrations that come along with them. Yes? Wind. Breathe out and wind. Breathe out wind. <laughs> all right. One, two, three. All right. I feel a bit better. Um, I was really aggressive, but it was fine. Like, I feel it still served the purpose, but it wasn't a slow breath. It was a definite... <gasps> yeah. like it was wind. in itself a wind, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our topic this week is the one, the only, Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Known around the world as the godfather of horror. Brilliant? Definitely. Insane? Obviously. Racist? You bet. But before we get into the delicious debates and discussions around this very, very, very obvious racism, let's get into who he is and why so many people can kind of glean over his hateful beliefs to enjoy his fiction. Yes? Okay. So before getting into who H.P. Lovecraft is, it's important to know why he is important. Lovecraft's works are most popular for such terrors as The Great Cthulhu or, you know, the story The Call of Cthulhu. And you can pronounce it any way you want. Some people say it's Cthulhu, Cthulhu. Um, he even himself describes the pronunciation of it as the name of this hellish entity was invented by, the, by beings whose vocal organs were not like man's. Hence, it has no relation to the human speech impediment equipment. The syllables were determined by a physiological equipment wholly unlike ours, hence could only ever be uttered perfectly by human throats. The actual sound, as nearly as any human organ could imitate it or human letters could record it, may be something like clulu, with the first syllable pronounced gutturally and very thickly. The U is about like that in full, and the first syllable is not unlike the clul in sound, hence the H represents the guttural thickness. Clulu. But, you know, we say Cthulhu, because fuck yeah. it. Because that's a whole bunch of jargon just to basically say that it's a word that we can't pronounce because we don't have the organs in our mouth to say it. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. So it's Cthulhu as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have Cthulhu, we have Dagon, the Shadow over Innsmouth, the Reanimator. His stories love to touch and fondle all the things that could drive one to utter madness and then refuse you a happy ending. This is part of what made his work stand out so much. It wasn't enough to intentionally fail to describe the horror witnessed by the characters, but to flesh it out just enough to make you gasp and then drop you down a hole of insanity. This person's never going to be a K again. And his stories grew into a mythos all of its own. Cosmic creatures, eldritch beings, cults, crime, the woiks! So that's kind of like in a nutshell. Very much a nutshell. Very, very, yeah. yeah very, very nutshelly version of mm. the kind of works that he does. Um, many people, I think, already know who Lovecraft is. If they don't know his actual works, they know things that are inspired by it, um, which I think we'll get into in a bit. Yep. But, but first, for people who are Lovecraft fans and maybe don't know a whole lot about him, let's do a little bit of a bio on him, yes? Sure. 
H.P. Lovecraft was born Howard Phillips Lovecraft on August 20th, 1890 in Providence, Rhode Island. His father was Winfield Scott Lovecraft and his mother was Sarah Susan Lovecraft. Her maiden name was Phillips. A wealthy family on the surface with dismal luck. In April 1893, when Howard was not quite three years old, his father was hospitalized with what was initially thought to be a nervous breakdown while in Chicago out on business. He was institutionalized at the Butler Hospital, which for all intents and purposes was a mental institution. He stayed there for five years before eventually passing away with what was later to be understood as late-stage syphilis. Howard's mother told him that his dad was fully paralyzed and kept him from visiting to try and spare him from dealing with the shame and terror of having an insane father. So now Howard lives with his mother, his aunts Lillian and Annie, and his grandfather Whipple Van Buren Phillips, which is the greatest name. <laughs> I love Whipple, and why Whipple? that's not a name is, is something I want to understand. Whipple. Yeah, Whipple. 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 And he comes out of this story real well. <laughs> Whipple Van Buren Phillips and his grandma, Robbie. Or Roby, I'm not quite sure. I think mm -hmm. it's Robbie. Um, <clears throat> now, these are his mother's parents, and they are friggin' wealthy. It's said that his mother doted on Howard to a fault. Stricken with grief and then some at the loss of her husband, she ended up raving, raising Lovecraft to be a bit of a shut-in and socially awkward, but brilliant. At three years old, he could read and write. At six years old, he was restyling Homer's Odyssey and renouncing God for favor of the Roman pantheon. At eight, he developed a passion for science, particularly astronomy and chemistry. This kid was nuts. Um, his grandfather, Whipple, was a huge supporter of not only classic literature, but all stories, all fiction, encouraging Howard to write and fill the world with tales of his own. He seemed like a good guy. In 1896, his grandmother, Robbie, passed away, Robbie passed away, and while nothing really indicates that they were particularly close, the grief of the household itself traumatized him. The black clothes, the mourning, the wailing, the, the just, just predominant sadness freaked him out. And that's when he first started having nightmares and not even just nightmares, night terrors. Um, he would begin to describe his nightmare creatures as night gaunts and those would come to play in stories that he would write 30 years later. So here's the tricky part. I could go line for line in his terrible story and I'm trying not to do that because it's quite long. Uh, the problem here is that it's all pretty fascinating. So if I ramble on, please tell me, okay? <laughs> anyway, longish story short, his family began to run out of money. By 1900, his grandfather's business was starting to slip. In 1904, 1903, 1904, his grandfather's business took a huge dive, and his father, his grandfather, died of a stroke not long after. Just before, yeah, blah, 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 blah. sorry. So uh, when the business took that big hit, it came and he died. It came to Susie, Howard's mother, Lovecraft's mother, to take care of all the finances, and she was not particularly great at that. Um, they, so they eventually had to move from this grand estate that they lived in with the with grandpappy and the aunts and everybody to the small apartment. And that was what Lovecraft ended up referring to as one of the darkest times of his life, suddenly going from affluence, affluence to a small duplex. Though he excelled in school <laughs> and even made a few friends in high school, he suffered from su suicidal thoughts and was had an especially noteworthy nervous breakdown at 18 years old, just before high school graduation. Unfortunately, he did not return to school. He did not graduate, and he never fulfilled his dream, which was to attend Brown University. Now, Brown University now, currently, I think, has the biggest collection of Lovecraft's works, sort of in honor of the student that they never had kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
but he was he was a really sensitive guy, especially being so woefully coddled by his mother, who is known to have said strange things like, he is so hideous that he hid from everyone and did not walk upon the streets where people could gaze on him. Weird, yeah. right? Like, she, um, I think that there's probably more to this than we're probably going to go into today, but there's, I've got this sort of feeling that she, um, in her obsession with like keeping him close and keeping him safe and like absolutely doting on him i think she might have made him very scared of the world by telling him that um he wasn't good enough for the world and you know like he was hideous and he was deformed and he was yeah and he was you know and basically just everything to manipulate him to stay with her for the rest of his life and not leave the house yeah Um, there, so he got the... a really bum deal, <laughs> yes. emotionally abused from the death of, um, from the point at which her, his father died. Well, apparently, so some of the neighbors reported that they would fight like long into the night. They could hear them fighting and yelling, mm-hmm. but then somebody actually sat and listened to what they were yelling at each other, and they were screaming Shakespearean plays at each other like that's what they did late into the night just recite Shakespeare loudly at each other (laughs) that was kind of great that's pretty good (laughs) but I mean and again for the time so we'll, we'll get into sort of his racist the racist elements to him for the time it was not uncommon to be racist but even at the time they're going you're a little extra well because he's not he's not he's not your average run-of-the-mill racist he's actually what is defined as a xenophobe which yes. is which is kind of um uh are we going to talk about it now um we, we can talk about it in a minute we'll we'll, we'll okay. get to that okay. once we get to red hook i think is when we'll have our our little talk mm. all right So in 1911, he developed his most fanboy obsession with writing letters to pulp and weird fiction magazines, particularly a a magazine called The Argosy. Now, my favorite story is about this romance writer named Fred Jackson, who Lovecraft fucking hated. Um, Lovecraft (laughs) describes Jackson's stories as trivial, effeminate, and in places, coarse. Um, And we get some little racy overtones here when Lovecraft said that Jackson's characters exhibit the delicate passions and emotions proper to Negroes and anthropoid apes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm trying to be true to who he is and acknowledge that he said, you know, awful shit, right? Um, But (laughs) this began a year-long feud of him sending letters to this magazine just shitting on Fred Jackson so hard and other people would join in they would either join in with him or they'd argue against him saying you know back off yeah so there's this uh, one man named john russell who would argue with him via rhyme so they'd have like these mm-hmm. poetry battles over <laughs> you know wow. who was right about fred jackson um and because everyone would make fun of lovecraft because he used these absurdly florid prose these massive words that were just unnecessary in in basically trolling a romance novelist, he's just trying to he's trying to sound so smart. But the problem is he was genuinely that smart. That's generally how his brain worked. He couldn't dumb it down. That's not Lovecraft's way. But it was actually thanks to these florid hate letters that Lovecraft caught the eye of Edward F. Dawes, the lead editor for the United Amateur Press Association, or the UAPA, and invited him into the organization. By 1914, Lovecraft accepted. 
Side note. Here's another little uh, moment. By 1912, he was starting to get published more often, but not for, not for such great things, like a poem called Providence in 2000 AD. The poem envisioned a future where people of English, English heritage were displaced by immigrants, Irish, Italians, Portuguese, and Jews. Also during this time, he wrote racist poetry such as New England Fallen and On the Creation of N-Word. Though there is no indication that either were ever actually published during his lifetime, but he wrote them and, and tried to have them published. So before he was writing his fiction, he was writing some not so great fun things. Mm. Anyway, encouraged by the attention of Dawes of the UAPA, Lovecraft became a voracious author. He wrote zines, stories, articles. His focus was mainly journalism for a long while, for like about a decade. He was big on attacking other authors for the use of slang. You can imagine it got a bit racy. He openly criticized other UAPA contributors for their Americanisms and slang. Often these criticisms were coached in xenophobic and racist arguments bemoaning the bastardization of the national language by immigrants. Right about 1916, Lovecraft started making some actual writer friends who encouraged him to try his hand at fiction, and this he did. Here is where we start getting some of the classics like Dagon and The Tomb. Short, spooky stories, but with all the seeds needed for the great spooky works ahead. Unfortunately, though, in 1919, his mother herself suffered a nervous breakdown and ended up in the same mental hospital that her husband died in. She also died in it two years later. From uh, She died in it from like, complications of a gallbladder surgery or something like that. Yeah. And it, Remember, at this point, Lovecraft was still living with his mom. She was his world. So when this happened, once again, our little Howard slammed into an ugly depression. He wanted the world to end until he met his soon-to-be wife. Hello, mm -hmm. Son Sonia Haft-Green, a Russian-Jewish immigrant of wealth and rightfully prowess. She was independently wealthy due to a successful hat store she ran. She was able to bankroll quite a few uh, fiction magazines and herself was published. She had been in town for a UAPA convention when she was introduced to Lovecraft, and strangely enough, they hit it off, even slipping away quietly to get married on March 3rd, 1924. So this was two years after his mom passed away, mm -hmm. I think. And he did it in complete secrecy, didn't tell anybody. The only re reason he told his aunts, no, the only way he told his aunts was through a letter, because he knew that they would disapprove. Mm -hmm. um, he moved in with Sonia to Brooklyn, and all was good. Fun fact, Sonia said that she believes Lovecraft may have been a virgin before they met, which I don't think would surprise any of us. No. It's actually surprising to think that he didn't die a virgin personally. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> Apparently he was a really great lover, but he, be ha he had no sex drive. The mm. only way it was going to happen is if she instigated it. So good for her for demanding sex. <laughs> <laughs> um, he made more friends, published more writing with Weird Tales magazine, and generally being taken care of financially by his new wife. Unfortunately, though, not long after their marriage, Sonia became ill and lost her business and assets. She relocated to Chicago, and Lovecraft moved to just outside of Red Hook in New York to a small apartment by himself. This here is where we can start talking racism. Suddenly surrounded by people of all races and origins, he lost his mind. His home was robbed, leaving him with nothing but the clothes he was wearing. And this led Lovecraft to write his most racist piece of fiction. And that's saying something. Mm. The Horror at Red Hook, featuring all the elements you could want. Illegal immigrants, crime, cults, evil deities requiring human sacrifice, dead babies. Basically, any way you can spin it that immigrants are sneaky, evil, damnable, depraved, it's all there. So, 
Yeah, I don't know if here's where you want to go into talking about his racism a little bit. I have a thought. I want to hear um, yours. Right. Well, mine is that um, it's very important to distinguish him as a xenophobe because his um, um, unacceptable, but and uh, unacceptable and extreme um, prejudice against all others not yeah. just um so it's all creeds all all ethnicities all nationalities you could even be white but you were from um, a different country a different country and he yeah so he was an all-inclusive you know racist um and xenophobe um but it stems from his um it's a phobia it's he's afraid of the other he's legitimately afraid he's had his he's managed to convince himself he's managed to be convinced he's managed to live in a world in which he can blame the the other for everything and um he's had enough experiences in which actually something pretty shitty has happened to him because of he can rationalize because of yeah, this yeah. yeah so um he wasn't he was a white supremacist and he was a no. xenophobe no he yeah. was so i was saying no he was a white supremacist and he was a xenophobe yeah. he he believed that the white race were superior the, the first and the superior yeah yeah and it's echoed in his literature so but I mean there's a happiness there's not a happiness there's a thing that kind of happens towards the end of his career where he it, his fiction seems to um accept that maybe there was something before yeah and, yeah so we, we <clears throat> won't talk about that right now but he does actually he does come I think that if, if he had lived longer I think he might have come out of this place and and had had a realization because he seemed to be going there with his life. I can't remember what his last story was, but basically, the old ones, um, which are the, the like in Lovecraftian mythos, they're the first, they're the gods basically, and they're they're pretty indifferent to our existence. But, Only completely. Um, <laughs> I think it's the old one. Is it the old one? So basically he finds out that there was another race of... In the story, someone finds out there was another race before the old ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of... Without going too much into it, it was kind of like... Um, if you read if you read it, you kind of think, oh, was he starting to realise that maybe... Um, maybe he was wrong about the white race being the first and purest because he was realising that he had a lot in common with um uh other ethnicities and other races and then and he, then then he, he stops writing and because he dies so he's like shit he yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's definitely been suggested that near the end of his life he started to come to terms with the fact that he may have been wrong yeah. um understanding what it feels like to be displaced to go from affluence to poverty mm-hmm. um i think put him in the headspace to maybe understand that uh you know people are people and 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 to really sort of humanize them more 
so yeah, not it is lib- not immediately because he he plays the blame game first, and he plays oh, the yeah. blame game for years and years and years. I don't know what manages to convince him sort of towards the end. Maybe he just sort of like wakes up one day and goes, "I've been a dick." Um, well, I think it was suggested that like as he was dying and he felt his body failing him, he he just started to, you know, come to terms with his how he could have been wrong. Like he just started doing a lot more uh, inward thinking a bit. But yeah, I mean, he was this guy was phobic about everything. He was he had a lot of the same phob- phobias that I do: outer space, deep sea, things like that. Um, which leads me to believe that he may have been a bit a bit of an agoraphobic. Oh yeah. Can the- I read the list? Can I read the list? Can I read the yeah, list? Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, this is actually some of them are really funny, and I'm I'm looking forward to like contributing just a little bit of facts. Facts. So, <laughs> what else was Lovecraft frightened of? Invertebrates, marine life in general, temperatures below freezing, fat people, people of other races, race mixing, slums, percussion instruments, caves, cellars, old age, great expanses of time, monumental architecture, non-Euclidean geometry, deserts, oceans, rats, dogs, the New England countryside, New York City, fungi (laughs) and molds, viscous substances, medical experiments, dreams, brittle textures, gelatinous textures, the colour grey, plant life of diverse sorts, (laughs) memory lapses, old books, heredity, mists, gases, whistling, whispering, let me retone the last thing on the list, and whispering. (laughs) (laughs) He, I'm going to diagnose him right now with autism. That's totally fucking fair. Totally fair. I mean, yeah, he he was he was a nervous, phobic, scaredy little guy. Um, so it the to be afraid of people of different cultures, to be in the slums, to be surrounded by people uh, of of all races in in generally kind of a crimey area mm. does not fucking surprise me that that just cements this already sort of idea that these people of other races and and from other countries are bad i get why he went there do we like it no it wasn't right no but do we get it absolutely yeah i think he had a very rigid set of rules in which he believed life should be lived by and that very very particular um sort of ethos about manners and uh the way you should look the way that you should speak the way that you should treat each other the way that you should eat all those things if it didn't if somebody or something didn't abide by those rules he he didn't know what to make of it and i think it would create a fear in him so to be afraid of fat people I mean, that's probably because he's got a thing about you shouldn't be gluttonous or something, and he's got this conception that all fat people are sloths and mm-hmm. um, overeaters, and you know he's probably afraid of percussion instruments because he gets a sensory overload because of the noise from it. He's probably afraid of mists because he can't see through them. Yeah, you know, and he his his imagination is such that to see a mist is to uh, just this what the fuck is on the other side of it um so everything on that list except for maybe the new england countryside <laughs> <laughs> just um, life in general i love the, the textures the texture thing is really important yeah texture fucked him up yeah it 
really did. And uh, again, yeah, if, if he was on the autistic spectrum, that makes total fucking sense. Absolutely. And if you read his writing the way that he describes, because by the way, he's phobic of the things that he's writing about. So he, he, he in detail describes basically his fears. Yeah, yeah. So if you're reading a description of any of the monsters that you encounter in Lovecraftian myths, he's describing his deep dark fears the colors as well because he's afraid of the color gray like everything's gray in lovecraft mm-hmm. everything's gooey and gelatinous and everything is like you know bleh. slimy um, tentacles bleh. Bleh. wiggly <laughs> um like the inside of a clam and it's because he found it repulsive and actually, most people do because it's like yeah, it's, it's, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross stuff. Yeah, magma. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't say I'm phobic. I, I probably wouldn't want to touch. I wouldn't want to poke some of these things. You know. Yeah, yeah, and like the whole fungus thing. I totally get that. I mean, that's it's gross. It's gross stuff. Oh God! But we're not justifying those fears becoming xenophobia. No, um, no. yeah, just not at all. Kind of out there that um, he was—he was a very complex and very complicated individual. He wasn't just like a smart person who had his shit together, who you know should know better. Going around being a shithead, racist. He's somebody that's. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and keep in mind, both of his parents ended up in an insane asylum. Yeah. So he was clearly a little bit predisposed to that anyway. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'm just, you know, just throwing that out there. He was not wholly altogether. He was extremely, extraordinarily articulate. But when it came to real life, to the real world, he was a broken man. He didn't really function very well in our world, I think. And he didn't really have anyone. I think that maybe his wife was somebody that could understand him and was able to... Because she will have known this about him. She did know this about him, that he was a xenophobe. Um, And she will have heard things that come out of his mouth about her own people. And she was a saint. Oh, and, and some of his best friends were Jewish as well. Yeah, yeah. He just he was he just didn't know how to balance his prejudices with the actual reality of the world, and I think he probably struggled with it quite a lot. Yeah. As long exactly. as a you know, if a fat person walked past him, he could make all the judgments he wanted about that person. But then if that person talked to him and was really friendly and was like, I just don't know how he would deal with it because he would just be so wrapped up in his like thinking, like I don't. I'm no. Yeah, um, well, but outside of situations where he was put in to talk to people, like at the UAPA meetings and stuff yeah. like that, um, if he was in the street or something, his face down, he did not make eye contact, he did not talk to strangers, it was not his way. So yeah, if, if a, a big guy came up and talked to him, he would probably be shook real hard. Yeah, um, he would. He would go out at night for that purpose, wasn't he? He very, very rarely went out in the day, which is why you said yeah. when he was agoraphobic, he sounds like an agoraphobic. He was. He didn't hardly go out during the day. Didn't yeah. stop him from being friends with Houdini, though. Yeah, like BFFs. Apparently, he ghost wrote for him a lot. <laughs> so, bro, <laughs> with Harry Houdini. <laughs> 
yeah, random I, fact for you there. Yeah. All right. So eventually in 1926, he moved away from one, his one small New York apartment to another, and then eventually went back to his staple of Providence, Rhode Island, to live with his two wealthy aunts under the direction, the specific direction, that he never see his Jewish wife again. <sighs> yeah. And so that happened. He still loved her, and mm. she still loved him. Mm. But in 1926, he officially never saw his wife again. I, I can't remember if I read it or heard it, um, if they ever actually got divorced. I'm not sure. I don't really think not. that they did. No, I think she remarried after he passed away. Mm, I don't know. I just really didn't sure. come across that information, if, he, if they got divorced, if they stayed married till he <clears> died. <throat> Yeah, because I have a feeling he would have he would have a very strong opinion about that. Yeah, but I mean, but it wouldn't have been based on religion because he's an atheist. He he yeah, had the prim and proper thing to do. Yeah, would have been to stay married. I mm. I don't know. Um. So, but in his last decade, he poured out the biggest chunk of his work. He was writing letters, articles, ghostwriting for Houdini, and writing his own fiction. He was unstoppable, putting out his biggest hits, such as Color Out of Space, Call of Cthulhu, Shadow Over Innsmouth, and all the stories that even the basest of Lovecraft fans can pull out of the pocket. Now, with a stable group of best friend writers, such as Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, Robert E. Howard, who wrote Conan the Barbarian, and their friends, their friend August Derleth, who coined the term, the now phrase, the now famous phrase, Cthulhu mythos. Basically, these guys, these three guys, were his best friends, and they were so wowed and awed by Call of Cthulhu and all the other stories that he wrote that they would get together and spin out the mythos with many stories of their own. So that's why you'll see a lot. If you're looking into reading Lovecraft, you'll find that you'll most books with the Lovecraft title on are not actually written by Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are written by August Derleth, Robert Block, and a bunch of other writers of that sort of uh, era and beyond still to this day all part of the Cthulhu mythos, the Lovecraft mythos. Um, so it's it's still applicable to his work, but not specifically his work. It's like official fanfic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, as much work as he put out, he did not receive much in exchange. It said he would go without food in order to pay postage for the letters that he sent. Seriously, guys? Okay, Lovecraft wrote 100,000 mm. letters. That's crazy. Yeah, he he would write back to anybody who wrote to him with like nice things to say. Like he would start up pen pal relationships with people. He would write to other writers. He would write to fans. He would write, and he would give them stories for free. He would yeah. write them stories in his letter. So we're actually still uncovering Lovecraft writing when these letters end up in auction houses or getting found because he would just like you could write basically you could imagine being able to just write to neil gaiman and be like i fucking love your work neil gaiman write me a story and he fucking yeah. wrote you a 25 30 page handwritten story yeah. and was like here you go buddy hey neil gaiman we wouldn't mind a story just kind of throwing <laughs> that out there yeah when We'll probably talk about him a little bit more coming up as well. But it's just, <laughs> he used to just, he really, he was a pauper. He never yeah. made really anything from his, he made like, there was like one of his stories made him $100 at one point. I mean, he, that must have been the peak. He, yeah. he, he was interested. Well, no, was, sorry. 
<laughs> no, it was actually a year before he passed away that A Shadow Over Innsmouth was actually published in a paperback book, and he was so unhappy with it because mm-hmm. it had so many errors. They only printed 200 copies, and it barely sold. But, I mean, that's one of his most popular stories. That's sort of like Call of Cthulhu and Color Out of Space. That's, that's, that's where we get most of the, the mythos that is interjected in all the other Lovecraftian things that we'll probably bring up in our pop culture part of yeah. this. Um, come from the shadow over Innsmouth. It's just, I think, the most playable story, uh, as, as far as I can, as far as I can tell. Um, and yeah, it it didn't do dick. It was really sad. Um, do we want yeah. to um, conclude his bio and to his death, or do we want to kind of talk about a little bit about things now? Um, yeah, I just got one more paragraph, and then I'm done. I'm gonna just, yeah. When he dies, he's dead. Yeah. Um, so in his final what years, said, after... will never die. <laughs> in his final years, just after his wealthier aunt passed away, him and his last surviving aunt moved to an even smaller apartment in Rhode Island, where he eked out barely a living, like we mentioned, with the ghost writing, the journalism, cheap and easy stories that he could sell quickly. Because again, the problem with Lovecraft is he is a wordy motherfucker. He, oh, so many words, so many big words. <laughs> so many it's, it's it's not just the wordiness though it's the it's the overly trans sort of like how he 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 trudges on through a sentence to yes. describe so much but it gets better in his later life in the beginning it was kind of like oh it's unbearable like, um, really the early <laughs> books are almost unreadable um yeah. But later on, he gets much, much, much better, and his his prose becomes more natural, I think. And I've I sort of like skimmed over some stories; they are still very flowery, mm-hmm. to put oh, it lightly. Yeah. It's a very particular type of writing <laughs> prose that you have to like. My favorite is like, okay, if you go to YouTube and say you just want to listen to somebody read one of his stories, right? The story itself is probably not longer than like 40 pages, 30, 40 pages, um, but it takes about an hour and a half to read. (laughs) That's that's just to give you a hint as to how he reads. Must read slowly. Difficult. Um, But yeah, much in line with the suffering genius trope of his time, his work was not successful until after he passed away. And he passed away um in Mar- on March 15th 1937 from terminal cancer of the small intestine because of his major terror fear phobia of doctors he went with this terrible pain in his gut for years and mm. only ever got the diagnosis less than a month before he died yeah he proper didn't yeah poor guy did not want to deal oh, did not want to hear that so scared of see this is the harm that he did his fears and his phobias never did anyone harm to anyone else but himself yeah exactly for his whole life he's he's uh i i blame his mother (laughs) (laughs) which is totally fair I feel sorry for her as well. I'm sure she had her issues, but I blame her. I blame his mother. I, I, yeah, she, she did a proper She fucked him up. She fucked him up big time. Um, I think um, his grandfather, do you want to say his name? Whippo? Was a really nice, he comes off really well and he seems really nice. Um, and I think that there was some stability when he was alive and once he was gone. Yes. That, that oh, seemed to really be the turning point for, for Lovecraft. I mean, he barely knew his dad. Yeah. Um, and his mom doted on him 
relentlessly, but his grandfather really wanted him to explore this incredible talent that this kid obviously had. At six years old, rewriting the Odyssey to his own his own tune. I believe it was him that was encouraging him to go into astronomy, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely, it's so cool. He seemed like a really awesome guy, and he was his father figure. Mm. Once his dad passed away, Whipple, Grampy Whipple, became Whipple. the uh, Mr. father. <laughs> He's my favorite. <laughs> He's the best character. He's my favorite character in the story, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that. so that's, that's his story, tragedy and all. I mean, there's so many other things that I... I if I were to include, this would have been a very, very long thing. This is already kind of a long thing. Um, but yeah, there you go. That's Lovecraft for you. And it's about here that I, Danielle, decided that the episode was going to go long. So I called up Mel and we decided to make this a two-parter. So we'll leave it here for now. So And join us next week for part two of Zombie Fishbowl episode about H.P. Lovecraft where we take a deep dive into the primordial pool, which is Lovecraft in pop culture, where we have a chat and I'm very tired. Love you. Have a good fortnight. Bye.